This is episode 19 of the Great Speech Podcast on How Great Leaders Communicate, an interview with David McQueen. No, 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 19, 19. You guys are probably too young for that. It's a Great Speech Podcast for the public speakers. We're going way down deep to look at what makes a communicator. We'll look at all different topics from the bottom to the top. So get your mind free of all the distractions and please listen up, listen up, listen up. It's the Great Speech Podcast. 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 Thanks, Dad. Greetings, greetings, my great communicators. How you guys doing? I hope you are well. <laughs> I am, of course, Kolarilisho Naike, your communications wizard, uh, guiding you through another episode of the Great Speech Podcast. And this week, I have another interview guest, uh, really fascinating one this time, actually, a guy called David McQueen. He is the MD of a leadership development company called Narratively. Uh, but he's also quite possibly the guest I've had on this show with the most varied background. I mean, the things he's done. So he has been an accountant. He's done stand-up comedy. He has managed raves. He's been a counsellor. Uh, he is a public speaker, so he speaks at events, uh, which he also facilitates. He coaches executives uh, in their skills. Uh, he has his own podcast show called the David McQueen Podcast uh, and recently started an online business club for sharing skills called Dream Hustle Build. So really varied, varied resume on there. In fact, the only blemish I could find on his resume is the fact that he's also a lifelong Liverpool supporter, which, as you know, ain't going to go down well with me because I support West Ham. We ain't doing too well at the moment. Uh, I actually didn't know that at the time that we recorded the interview because otherwise, you know, I would have asked him about that. Uh, probably a good thing because we'd have spent half the episode just arguing about football. Uh, but in this episode, I focus in particular on leadership communication and actually what I noticed from that very varied background is a lot of things that really tie that together is is communication the ability to communicate especially when you look at his uh, work as a counsellor as a stand-up comic obviously as a speaker and coaching for executives so it's a really fascinating discussion about leadership and how to communicate effectively as a leader uh, we talk about things like uh, what he didn't like about Steve Jobs's style of leadership uh, his opinion of Richard Branson as a communicator he tells me what what he learned from the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team, uh, a great tool on or a great approach on making bo uh, data, boring data come alive. Uh, and uh, one thing which I was really interested in to hear, and in fact, I'm going to speak to him more about, which is his own personal plans to increase the number of people of colour who get to speak on stage. So it's a really fascinating interview, a lot of value in it. So I encourage you, as always, to uh, turn the noise down, focus your ears and listen because you'll get a lot out of it do make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode of this wonderful podcast uh please do a review as well because you know i give shout outs to everybody who does a review uh, and share the podcast with a friend so uh, get ready because here is david okay welcome back to the great speech podcast my great communicators thank you guys for joining me and as i said i have david mcqueen here with me which i'm actually really excited about i'll tell you why as we go through uh but welcome to the podcast david how are you doing sir 
I'm very well. Thank you for having me. A real privilege to be here, sir. Real privilege. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I was saying um, before, kind of, we started recording that I tried to catch up with you at an exhibition that we both were at. So yeah. I'm actually pleased to be doing this, um, doing it this way as well. So as you know, I start all episodes with a quote. Yes. Uh, and I know that you have one for us. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Take it away. Who is the quote by, and what is the quote? So my quote is by Muhammad Ali, and the quote is very simple. It's not bragging if you can back it up. Ooh, not bragging so if you can back it up why why is that why that one why did you choose that um so a lot of times when i'm working uh, and do my work and we'll talk about this anyway mm. the one of the biggest issues that i find with individuals is around confidence and around being confident enough to talk about what it is that they do well so people especially here in the uk where people play down their significance or what it is they're doing they're always trying to play it down and i say to people look i'm a good speaker i'm a great speaker and I'm good at leadership and I'm good at finance. People go, well, don't you think that's bragging or boastful? And I say, no, it's not bragging if you can back it up. I've got the evidence. I've got the receipts. So for me, it's about really not um, being boastful about what you do, but being confident about the fact that you do stuff well and you add value to people when you're working. So that's why it's important for me. You know, I, I noticed that actually because I watched your TED Talks mm -hmm. and uh, there are a few moments where you do say very kind of confidently, almost brashly, like, yeah, I hey, I know I'm the speaker. I'm, I know I'm really good. And I wondered actually, what is the reaction to that when you are giving a presentation or a speech from people? I mean, is it, is it kind of equal? Some are a bit put off, some love it. Or do people actually accept it? What, you know, how do people respond? I usually get nervous laughter. Because people don't know how to respond. And they're like, you know, where is this guy actually coming from and what's he doing? And, and I say, look, at the end of the day, part of what drives me to do what I do is having this sense of confidence. And then I break it down. I say, I'm sure there are people here who probably think I'm full of myself and, you know, think, oh, my God, who is this guy and where's he coming from? And I said, but, you know, I've got the evidence that my diary is full of speaking appointments. Right. I, am, I, I travel across the world. I've been to five different continents, you know. I run a six-figure business off the fact of that I do my speaking. So I've got the evidence so that I know what I'm doing really well. And, and for me, with that evidence, I don't feel like an imposter and I don't feel like a fake because I know what I'm saying, what I'm doing. It's what is written on the tin. It's exactly what I'm doing. And then I have people who will come to me afterwards and go, oh, my God, I don't think I could ever do that. But you don't have to. You don't have to. But what I was doing is giving you permission mentally to know that you can actually stand out and say, you know, this is what I do and do it really well. Right. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So how did you get here? As in, you know, I can't, I imagine you're maybe a naturally confident person. I've heard you talk about the fact that you're an extrovert, which is interesting because a lot of people profess to be introverts, although I'm not sure I always believe that. Um, but you seem to have had quite a history. I mean, you think you were an accountant at some point. Yes. I saw you talk, did stand up comedy. How yep. did you come to be David McQueen of today? Of today, ooh, what a journey, <laughs> what a journey. I'm sure my wife will take 50% of the credit for David McQueen yeah, that is today. Yeah. But, probably um, more, probably yes, more. <laughs> exactly. So in terms of, uh, I mean, I was from, I grew up in a church where we were really encouraged to speak. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and a lot of it was just about, um, you know, um, um, it, it was part of getting us to understand that to survive in a world out there that didn't necessarily cater for people from our demographic being, and at the time, young black working class um, individuals, we had to have our voice, not to shout people down, but be confident about what we believe, what we stood in and how we were going to present ourselves. And so that was something that stuck with me for a while. And then in my teen years, I started to do a lot of work with younger people. And, and what I realized that an older generation couldn't connect with the younger people because of their ideas of what you know life was going to be like and ambition and what have you. 
Uh, and I realized that when I use humor and if I stood in front of individuals and spoke for a little while, I had their attention. You know, I could go into a room at the age of 18 and I could hold a group of 12 to 15 year olds, having them listen to me, you know, eat, I could say anything to them, basically, <laughs> um, because I they felt listened to and, and there was humor around it. And um, I my first job I ended up going into, I was an accountant. And the backstory was I used to do raves, made loads of money, but didn't know how to manage money properly. And I wasn't paying tax. So I went into a profession that could help me do that and not end up in jail. Very smart. Very smart. Right, exactly. And then enjoyed that for a while. Did that for about eight or so years, um, eight or nine years. Then for about the next, I'd say, five or so years, I worked for five or six years. I worked in IT, um, doing a lot of stuff which was related against the finance. So it was a lot of... Uh, of reporting and systems and development, which was related to financial reporting and what have you. Um, but in both of those careers, the accounting and the IT, what I realized is that I was spending a lot of time not only doing the work, but explaining it to people. So explaining finance to people who didn't understand finance or why the reporting was necessary. And likewise, when I was in IT doing a lot of stuff around project management and explaining technology and why we needed to go through these processes, I spent a lot of time doing uh, introducing new product development, introducing mm -hmm. new products, etc. And so both of those, I kind of like realized, look, I'm still doing this speaking thing. Yeah, I'm doing it on the side. I was doing it in, in church at the time and, and in the youth groups and communities, but I'm also doing it a lot of work. And then I realized that there were some people out here doing this full time and getting paid good money for it. And I'm like, right. <laughs> let me see yeah. if I can try this. So I went and um, went to a couple of networking meetings and met some people um, about... Uh, 18 years ago or thereabouts, I was introduced to this organization called the Professional Speakers Association, yeah. PSA. So, and I was like, okay, there are people out here making good money from this. Let me see if I can get some. And so I realized coupled with the background I had in finance and then the applications of having a background in technology, I was able then to use that um, wisdom to kind of take my speaking and speak about those issues um, around finance and technology. And, um, and quite interestingly, I should have said it on an aside, I always, loads of people used to come and ask me for career advice. And I'm like, why do you assume that I know? So I'd be, I'd be writing CVs, giving interview skills, talking about, and I'm like, I know I've kind of like done this, but why was it? So then I started speaking about it. And it's kind of like morphed to where it is now, where my two main kind of themes are around leadership and around presentation and communication skills. Well, so, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain, actually, oh. on your approach to that definitely but actually what what i wanted to pick up on is was very interesting because there's one of the things that i always talk to about my clients and the people i coach which is there is a huge difference between being good at what you do and being able to articulate that or persuade people or communicate yes. with people and it sounds like you kind of a lot of people gravitated towards you because you could do both i imagine you were good at the accountancy part of it but actually it was the fact that you were good to, good good at explaining it and articulating it to people that really made the difference yeah and it and it and it, and it i i say this and sometimes people think i'm patronizing but i i believe if you stand up on a stage and you are giving a presentation a 12 year old should be able to sit in that audience and at least get the essence of what you're talking about right they may not necessarily right. understand all the technical terms yeah and, and you know and i think this is one of the things that's frightened people away because when they are in front of other um, people who are either in their field and they expect a certain tech technical vernacular uh, mm -hmm. or an academic vernacular. They think that is the be all and end all of speaking. And I'm like, no, I think you can go and you can simply for people who don't understand from a technology point of view, what full stack development is all about, or from a financial point of view, the point of profit and loss and, and being able to 
give people an explanation from your revenue all the way down to your your net profit and all the margins that come off that you should be able to explain that so people understand it and and i guess i was frustrated by looking at people who were who were, who were speaking above people's heads yeah. and and i guess part of the background i had being a youth speaker and working with young people was trying to make stuff really simple so for example i know when i first started off in youth work a lot of it was based in church and a lot of it was based around theology so when a young person would ask me you know well why do you need to believe in god or why did abraham go to kill isaac or, or any of those kind of um parallels and then all of a sudden i had to go okay i need to really break this down in <laughs> right. a simple way so that whether they agree with it or not is neither here nor there but at least you understand what the concept was and, and especially and especially with kids they are absolutely clear about asking things or needling you on stuff if it yeah. does not add up and i love that i actually yeah. some people get irritated by that but i love when kids ask why yeah. Go, why? And I go, God, I'm breaking down. And why? And I'm, I'm going, I'm, 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 you ain't going to win this why game with me. I'm going to break you down. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're going to yeah. get all the knowledge you need. And you're just going to be asking <laughs> why because you're being silly. But I will, I will always win the why argument. Yeah. And, and for me, that has fed into the, into the corporate space in that there are times where I know I will go and speak and I'll say something and people will nod their heads. And I realize actually sometimes they don't even know what the term I'm talking about. So I go, do you actually know what I'm talking about when I'm using this term? And I go, okay, let me break it down. Right. And then somebody will come to me afterwards and go, you know what, I was too embarrassed to ask, but thank you very much for being able to break it down for us. Mm-hmm. And so coupled with that, I went and I learned, I learned a lot of stuff, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this anyway, but I learned things around rhetoric, around, you know, logos, pathos, ethos, and kairos, those yes, different elements yes. of being able to connect with, with individuals and why they were so p- important, how they help around debate and winning an argument, mm-hmm. dealing with conflict. Uh, again, I did stand-up comedy um, to, it gave me a sense of having confidence on a stage and knowing that, you know, one of the beautiful things about how you do really well as a speaker is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And that's one of the things you get from comedy is that vulnerability. And what I've realized, a lot of people who don't want to speak or who are afraid of speaking are afraid of being vulnerable because they it's, think yes, it will yeah. go wrong. Yeah. I mean, that, that whole thing of you're standing up on stage, everyone's looking at you. So you it feels exposed. Yes. Uh, tell me about the stand up comedy before we go yes. deeper into the leadership. <laughs> just tell, so right. Was that you just chose to try it out or did somebody suggest it? How did that come about at all? So a friend of mine many years ago told me to take part in a charity gig um, where we were going to do some stand up. And we had these two guys called Jefferson and Whitfield. I think their name was mm-hmm. there two black comedians back in the day in the early 90s and they came and they coached us and and I've always been that cheeky guy who would come in and you know I would run I always run a little joke in school or you know if I knew people were being a bit down I'd run a little bit of a joke but I never understood comedy in terms of how you write that pain or you write that problem or you write that situation so we did this gig and these guys were brilliant they um they gave us a real context as to how you can put stuff on paper and how you have to trim some stuff off how you can you've got to be really comfortable as an individual as to where you're going to go some people will cross a line just for the sake of shock um but they were like no you've got to be comfortable with the kickback you're going to get from this if it ever goes there right um so i did that um and went and did some um some other training i did um uh as i said i just did a couple of stints and you know i just wanted to be taken out of my comfort zone i wanted to go spaces where I would do a joke and it would just not be, it wouldn't land. And, and I would have to think about where, how am I going to get out of this and then say you to the next part of what it was right. I'm doing? 
Yeah, because there's, there's no lonelier place on earth than on stage after a joke that didn't work. Didn't. <laughs> it just really isn't. But you just get to a place where you kind of, I don't really care. I'm just exactly. going to, I'm going to laugh at my own damn joke if I have to. <laughs> right. Um, but it, 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 it also made me realize that the humor, which is a very, which is very central to what it is that I do as a speaker and, and a trainer, is a way of being able to calm or level the actual feel. So people who are feeling really nervous and anxious or scared or, or, you know, vulnerable, but not safe vulnerable. Mm. Humor is a great way of being able to level stuff and getting people to feel included and part of, um, and, and part of a, uh, and part of a community. So yeah, that, that, that bit I, I enjoyed. I did a couple of other charity gigs. I've actually been toying with the idea. I'm going to say this now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, going Break I've some actually, news. Break I've some news. I've been toying with the idea and I'm writing it down and I'm, I'll put it on my bucket list. I'm going to do it of just doing a one night only where I actually go and do a stand up event where I just do an hour and do an hour set, do it for charity. Um, have some people come along and maybe have some support acts and just absolutely just, just, just kill it for an hour. That's, That's on fantastic. my bucket list. Hey, why I'm, not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and also, if you if you do it for charity, it also yeah. gives a kind of a, it's a it's a purpose to it. It's a be a personal goal. Yeah, it yeah. will be you know yeah you get people, and once you get a great audience as well, you know yes. I would say in fact it's it's good actually doing that because I always say to people you know audiences generally want you to succeed yes. right so don't go there thinking everyone's looking at me hoping for to fail. Actually, yeah. nobody wants to hear a bad speech. Even if yeah. you don't like the person speaking, you still don't want to have your time wasted with a bad speech. So, hey, I think you should do it, man. I'll be buying a ticket, yeah. definitely. Uh, definitely. So, yeah. Right, okay. So, listen, let's let's move towards, uh, in particular, leadership communication. Because I, I know you cover a lot of things. Because, you know, looking at your resume, I know you've spoken with Ed Morgan Stanley, Mercedes-Benz, BBC, can have a wide range of um, occasions and clients. But I wanted to focus in particular on leadership communication. Yes. Because I think there is, there is something about, you know, generally everybody has to be a great communicator to try and get on the world. But in terms of actually being a leader and bringing people along with you and articulating a vision, I think they're very particular um, things that people have to consider. So let's have a, first of all, generally, what is your general advice your tips your techniques in terms of if you are a leader and you're trying to become a great communicator what should you be trying to do or achieve yeah so my my stick or my personal brand as a speaker and coach is around it really is around leadership communication mm -hmm. uh, i call myself a leadership enthusiast some people call themselves expert and i'm happy for them okay but i call myself an enthusiast and i'm always learning i'm enthusiastic yep. about it uh, and, and and i'm always keen to see how people across different cultures and where the cultures clash, how they can actually communicate effectively. And for me, if you're going to lead a body of people or if you're going to lead an, an organization, well, leadership is all about people. So whenever you're going to lead that group of people, you have to have a sense of kudos. You have to have a, um, I mean, it's arguable about integrity when we think of a, a lot of the CEOs and organizers, you know, people who... Uh, all politicians, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's called into question. But, you know, Parking any subjective views you have about individuals, for me, first and foremost, if you're going to really get a vision out there, people have got to believe you mm. or people have got to see what's in it for them. So you can be the best strategist in the world. You can be great at innovation. You can be great at finance. You can be great at product development. But if you can't communicate that clearly to the individuals who are going to take it to the next level, then you're kind of like lost. Right. So, you know, on stage, and I don't want to talk about him off stage because he, he didn't seem to be quite a nice man, but you look at somebody like Steve Jobs. You know, this is a guy who spent countless hours 
just getting one presentation ready for when he was going to do a product launch. I mean, yes. like meticulously, he knew those slides. Um, you know, he was, uh, I, I don't like, from a leadership point of view, I don't like the fact that he was one of those shouty kind of people who were afraid, yeah. people should be afraid of you. I think that's actually quite toxic. But as a communicator, when he was on stage, absolutely brilliant. And, and he, pra- I'm so glad you mentioned that because people often believe that, oh, he's just a natural or you have yeah. to be a natural to get, be a great speaker. But he yeah. practiced, his in, his practice session was insane. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad you referenced that because I, no, I think it's important no. for people to know. I did. Uh, I So this year I was um, invited to be on the Professional Speakers Association. I've been out of it for a while, but I'm coming back in this year. I'm right. doing it for two main reasons. I'm going to put it out there. Number one, I see want to see more people of color on stage. Um, and I'm making no bones about that at all. So I know that if I'm in a place and I'm quite visible, I can bring some people along with me. But secondly, I just want to be surrounded by peers who can help me to develop my craft as well, who can really encourage me to be a better speaker, um, just generally. So I got invited back to the, to the annual conference this year, the first time I've been back in about 12 years. And my speech was about practice. I was like, you know, I don't care how good you are as a speaker. If you don't practice, what you're doing right. is you're shortchanging the audience who are paying big money for you to be there. And if you go in and you wing it and then you do your speech and then you just bounce and go, shame on you. Because for me, there is something about individuals investing their time to have or learn from you. And so it's worth your while to go and do the practice. So I do. Every time I go to speak, I do vocal warm-ups. Before we came on the phone here, I went and I had my hot um, mint tea. <laughs> right. I make sure my vocal cords were relaxed before I came on. Yes, you know, on Wednesday, I did five back-to-back coaching sessions for a banking client who had individuals who were doing a pitching competition. Mm-hmm. In between each of the sessions, I had half an hour breaks and one hour break. In between those five sessions, doing my vocal exercises, making sure I warmed up, making sure I also knew my content as well. Because if you're paying me money and if you're investing me to add that value, I need to practice. And yes, there are going to be sometimes I get things wrong. And that's absolutely okay because, you know, mm-hmm. you learn from your mistakes. But the practice bit is so important to me. The breathing, my vocals, my intonation, um, my stage presence, learning how to do my script, my pauses, my pace, yes. all that kind of stuff. Yes. It's so practical <laughs> because I, yes, I'm, I, I make no bones about it. There are some elements of what I have as a speaker that I believe are slightly natural. That mm-hmm. confidence, that exuberance, it's there. But I will say the confidence that I have now at David McQueen, age 50, I still can't believe I'm 50, but anyway, <laughs> David McQueen, age 50, is something that I've had to learn over the years to really build. So what looks to people like natural, like the, the analogy I always use is you see the swan above the water, right. Right. but you don't see the feet underneath the water and the feet are constantly moving under the water. So practice for me, uh, practice makes permanent. Or to use, there's a German phrase I learned this week, lady taught me this week, and she says, Good practice demonstrates the master. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And and it also relates to, you know, the whole 10,000 hours philosophy as well, is you've got to put the work in. It's, yeah, so I, 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 it's not that I say natural talent is overrated, because, you know, natural talent is important, but you can have a whole load of people who are talented that do not achieve anywhere close to what you can achieve without the natural talent if you're willing to put the work in. So I like the fact that that is a core principle of what you do okay come on give us more what else what else <laughs> and it is as i say to, to you i say as, as speakers and that for me that's the secret source mm-hmm. you can go and you can learn about speech structure you can watch all the ted talks google talks conferences all that's all that stuff in the world you can go and look at it and you can look at slide decks you can look at all this absolutely wonderful stuff but for me 
what makes a difference for you as a presenter is you being able to know your stuff, you being able to know your style, you being able to know how you impact individuals. And that only comes through practice. I can think of, you know, the first kinds of speeches that I did. And I, I'm glad they're not on video because I, <laughs> I was like, what? That was trash, you know. But there were still people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but then I know for me what it is that I wanted to get out of it. Mm. And, um, and so for me, it's a constant learning. And sometimes people are like, you know, Dave, you still go to classes and stuff. I'm like, yeah, mm. I'm forever going to learn from individuals because there's always, always something new that I learn. And I'm always impressed to watch other people. And I go, Oh, I really love the way they did that. And I wonder if that's something that I can use as part of my repertoire, part of my practice, the, my, my breathing, my, you know, even though I know I've got like a natural bass voice, how can I make sure that when I go to my upper register, I do it in such a way that's really strong? So, yeah, that's that's my practice is the secret. I can I can't say it enough. <laughs> practice, if you really want to know it, practice is the secret source and it doesn't matter how good you are. And you look at a lot of politicians like Bill Clinton is one of my favorite orators. That mm -hmm. guy, it's scary how that guy can make you feel like you're the only person in the room. Yes. I mean, like super scary. And I think you, you use that to his advantage for the wrong yeah. times. Yes. times. <laughs> As an orator, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And, and a lot of that would have been because he's honed really great script, script writers, but they would have honed how they communicate that well. So yeah, for me, practice is the secret source. Fantastic. Okay. So we've got practice, which, which, I mean, you know, it really doesn't, it, it cannot be emphasized enough. Yeah. Uh, so, but let's take it, let's take it even further. So let's say I'm committed to practice. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a leader. Uh, so I'm committed to practice. How do I, when I have a vision, what's the best way of articulating that in a way that brings people along with me? You know, how, how can I, how can I carry as many people along with that vision so they buy into it and they're with me and they kind of go on the journey with me? So the second part for me, so practice with the first, the second part for me is storytelling. I, I yes. cannot emphasize how much, <laughs> you know, storytelling is what's carried humanity. Yes. You, you think about the cave paintings, you know, they would have depicted a story sitting around a campfire, uh, mm -hmm. ghost stories, you know, yep. advertising, yep. trailers before a film. Uh, you know, theatre, whatever it is, they have always, always been carried on the vehicle that is storytelling. And, and often, you know, within uh, business and non-profit areas, that a lot of people don't understand the concept of storytelling. They just see it as a gimmick. And I go, no, for me, it's an essential part of being able to communicate with individuals. Why? Because data is cool. And lots of people can have the data and the research and what have you. But People you we know have given presentations and speeches with data and have bored the hell out of you. <laughs> right. However, if I can give you, let's just say for the sake of argument, somebody can go and give a, a speech about artificial intelligence or machine learning. And they can go and it can be technical and you can sit there and you go, like, what the hell you're doing? Mm. But the moment you personalize that yes. and the moment you say to me that I've gone onto a machine and for, for whichever way you look at it, what it's done is the software has, and the algorithms have been designed in a way to look at patterns, to look at behavior, to understand language, to understand context. And in a way, and this user then goes on, it reduces the amount of stress. It reduces the amount of time. It allows them to feel included in the process as opposed to just being a transaction. And you take them through that story. You create a date. You create a time. You create a place. And so you give it that sense of, you know, that you people can go back and they start to think in their mind. They start to picture it themselves. You create a character. So it might be one person that's in there and you explain their journey. And whether they like it or not, you may have 
they may be a, an antagonist and they, they might be a protagonist and the protagonist might be an individual or it might be a situation but people go oh my god i think about that too yes. i wish i didn't have to do so much email i wish i didn't have to do this i wish i could go on and this process could be quick um and all of a sudden you start to explain that story you throw in a little bit of vulnerability you show where they've overcome or even sometimes where it hasn't worked out really well but there's a lesson to be learned the moment you personalize that the moment you make that story relevant to individuals and they can go, oh my God, I can relate to that now. That makes the data come alive. That is cool, but the storytelling is what makes it come alive. And again, it has to be appropriate. There's not every single opportunity that you're going to do that. But when you do have opportunities where you can talk about a customer story or a leadership story or a crisis story or a change management story or any of those other things that we know as humans when we're working that we actually deal with, the moment you personalize that, and you embed that as part of your presentation, for me, that's when you see spikes in engagement, not only when you're on stage, but when you come off stage. And I will tell you this now, again, as I said, I've been speaking professionally for about 15 years, but obviously for more, I still meet people. When I, I was at an event the other day and a student came to me and they said, I remember when you came to my school when I was in year eight. She's oh, 26 wow. now. Wow. And she said, and I remember when you were talking about nearly drowning when you were swimming and your wife <laughs> came to save you. And my wife was there. She was laughing. She goes, yes, all, all people, so so many people remember that. And, you know, in other times where I've been talking about confidence and people have seen me, they go, oh, I saw you. I, I remember where I was at a business nine years ago and you came in and they shared this story about confidence and it really changed. And I go, wow, mm -hmm. the principle of certain things would have never have lasted as much if there wasn't that vehicle of storytelling. And so well, they, they, they say, don't they, that, that stories, are, I think the research is that stories are 22 more times, uh, um, more likely to be remembered than facts alone. Yes. So yeah. that, that yeah. entirely supports the point that you're making. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, for me, it's, 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 I always say to a lot of speakers, it's critical. Embedding stories in there is ab absolutely critical. And do you, and do you recommend that leaders in particular just build up their stock of stories that they know they can go to to yeah. use when the occasion presents itself or you saying they should try and make up a story <laughs> in the moment no i i again again i'm 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 not a fan of winging it i, yeah. I do not i <laughs> no matter how good you are i think right. if you wing it you'll there are people who can catch you out yeah people catch you out and, and i've always been of the opinion that when I go onto stage, there may be another professional speaker sitting in the audience. I'm not taking a risk, just in case that person comes and pulls my stuff. I'm not doing it. So there is a thing that I recommend it's called a story bank, and and I say to people, go on your um, on your machine, or if you have Evernote or OneNote or any other the, the, a note capture in Google Docs, whatever yeah. it is. I got a Google spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. whack stories in, whack in those stories, and some of them will be personal to you. Um, you know, again, as I say to students, I always tell this story about swimming and nearly drowning. And I use that as a metaphor about building confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas in business, I will talk about failures. I will talk about, um, uh, challenges that I had to make in decision-making and mental models on the spot, but I've got my little folder of stories that I can pull from. And there are others that I've heard along the way as well. So I will credit it to other people. I will say, there's a story I heard five years ago when I was at a conference. This is what's told me. And I will talk them through the actual story. So having that as an arsenal and making it relevant to the for leaders to make it relevant to that, I think is incredibly important. I'll give you one quick example. I was coaching a guy for an investment bank a little while back, and we were talking about um, the New Zealand rugby team. And even though they didn't win this time round, they have <laughs> years for years they were like yeah. the guys to beat. And 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 obviously there's an an, an aging uh, squad. They're rotating. They're starting to build up again. But they have this really fantastic principle about sweeping the room 
Mm-hmm. And what it is is that they say no matter where they go to play rugby, they they they'll go into their dressing rooms, but they will tidy up the room that they're in there. Oh wow! Okay. And so part of it is them being able to go look. We have to treat other people with respect because when we unite at that level in the changing room, right. we are going to be united when we're out on the rugby field as well. Oh. And that story about that unity about you know whether you're the CEO or the janitor to be treated the same way and with the same um, equanimity for me is an incredible powerful one I use when I'm talking about culture and so I'll bring that story in so some will be mine mm-hmm. uh, some will be others but I will always say to keep a, a bank of those actual stories and and really learn how to do it as well so I teach and coach people around storytelling and for me it's important for people to understand the different scenarios and ways they can be used but always be looking out and listening out for where they can be used um but don't don't try and wing it on the day. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. You haven't thought about the process or the journey you're going to take people through in there. It just sounds like you're just a mishmash, and people are looking at you. Well, why did you actually say that? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and the the great advantage of storytelling as well, which I always love, is that stories. Although of course there is, you know, you have to practice being able to do it. But stories are far easier to tell yes. than you know a dry you know yes. presentation about the facts and the data. It's just far yeah. easier. You can see people who struggle with giving a formal presentation, if you ask them to say, oh, okay, well, I, I know the data, but tell me what happened when you used it with that client. And they'll go totally fluently and yes. tell you all the detail with great yeah, color yeah. and great emphasis yeah. just because it's actually a story. So it's kind of gives the double whammy of it's easier for you as a speaker and the audiences prefer it as well. So yeah. yes, I love that storytelling. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, listen, one, one other thing I want to ask in terms of leadership, um, because that's obviously leadership of a team or presenting to a group. But what about one-on-one? How do you, you know, if you've got to convince an individual or maybe there's a problem with someone, what would you say is a good way of approaching trying to build a relationship with an individual, trying to kind of get them where they need to be, whether it's coaching another individual or kind of trying to direct them or, or, or encourage them? You know, any, any thoughts or any ideas on how we achieve that? So I think the first thing for me is listening. That is is such an underrated skill. Yes. But listening and listening not only to what's being said, but what's not being said as well. Mm-hmm. And too often there are, especially in organizations who have very clear hierarchies, there's an element of fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. So people will go and they will react to certain leaders because they feel that if they don't it'll it will be quite fearful for them right. if they don't go down this room and i've always said to a lot of leaders whether they're in senior roles or just emerging starting i go do you think your team would behave the same way when you're not in the room yes which is the which is a real test of leadership isn't it what happens when you're not in the room yes if your team are gonna act very differently when you're not in the room I honestly will question your leadership. I question it. (laughs) Because what it means for me is that you haven't given them agency to be themselves. And so, and I've seen it where individuals, you know, uh, a a regional leader will be coming to visit an office and everybody's tidied it up. (laughs) You know, social media is shut down for the day. You know, uh, emails are only answered twice in the day or what have you. And there's this whole kind of like, okay, they're here now, you know. And a bit like in schools as well, you know, when yeah. there's an Ofsted visit, everybody's right. all, you know, behaving, uh, yes. performing so that the school can get a specific rating. And for me, yeah. I find that really toxic mm-hmm. because it's dishonest. And and everybody's then on tenterhooks about, you know, making sure that nobody makes the mistake to give the wrong impression. 
So for me, the thing about listening is, is look, there are going to be very different leadership styles, but the listening part is about how do I get the best out of the individuals that I'm working with? How do I ensure that by listening effectively to what's going on? So for example, there may be um, people with communication issues where they, they don't want to say anything. Like a, a quick example I can give you is there, if I, if I can give you, if I had a pound for the amount of times that I asked the question, how many of you are afraid of conflicts? And I go to a workplace and people put their hands up and, and I go, why? And wow. yeah. people are afraid of not being liked. That's the mm -hmm. big one. Mm -hmm. um, or afraid of upsetting people or they think conflict is really bad. And I go, look, conflict doesn't have to go from zero to 100. Yes. <laughs> what it might be is that conflict is you coming to my desk, asking me to do something, irrespective of the fact that you haven't asked me if I've got the time, but you expect me to drop everything because you've got a deadline. And so I'm going to be in that pipeline regardless of what I do. That's conflict. Yeah. Being able to say to that person right now, I've got two or three things that I need to do as a priority. And then I can come and I can pick up exactly what it is that you have, unless it's critically, you know, mission critically urgent to do that. And that's just, that's just small. Mm. And if you don't deal with those small ones, of course it's going to escalate. So then when you come, somebody just blows up in front of you. You think, what the hell have I done? Yeah. Yeah. So the listening bit for me is, and, and, and I think this is so crucial, is how do we listen? Are we listening with our full body and our full mind as well? So not just hearing, but listening to what is being said. So part of good listening for me is, is asking really good questions. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the books that I always recommend when I go is a book called Power Questions. Um, yeah. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing book because you get better answers when you ask better questions. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, as I say, I'm a barrister, so I, I know that right? definitely it's, it's you, you, the value. You know, I, I, can, I always emphasize to people, you already know what you think. Yes. So there is limited value. And for you, when you are speaking, the value is when you are listening yes. and getting more information that either changes what you think or enhances it or consolidates it. So, yes, ask questions and listen for the answers. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. And there's so, there's so much. One of the things I love about, as, as you know, I'm a bit of a provocateur. On, <laughs> on on social media specifically LinkedIn. yes you are by the way i know right? i've seen that yes. I, i'm a provocateur and, but what it is is i realized that i'm asking a lot of questions that people are afraid to talk about in the workplace mm. uh, and and i know like you know i get a lot of messages in my inbox because for a lot of the larger organizations i know staff can't answer the questions online <laughs> because their cybersecurity team are looking at them and they're right. protecting the brand of the company which is fine yeah. But what it means is that even when I say these things, people go, do you know, Mike, I didn't even think about it that way. I never really thought about it. And and there are times where people will push back on me and I'm like, that's fine. Because I love it when you ask me that question. It challenges me around my way of thinking. I'm not coming out here pretending that I have all the answers, but I am going to stand strong in what I believe until I'm proven otherwise. You ask me a really good question that throws me out. I'm like, hell, I didn't even think about it that way. And that's growth. For me, that's growth. And, and as a leader myself, whether I'm doing my work in my community or doing it through my business, um, what I've found, you know, as a, as a real integral part of my, what I call my leadership communication toolkit is listening. And, and I cannot emphasize, I, 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 I did counseling. Um, you know, I was trained to be a counselor, what have you. Okay. you know, what, what counselors do really well is they listen really, really well. I and, mean, it and, can be and ask poignant questions as yes. well. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they will sit there, they're comfortable to sit there in their silence. Mm. Until you ask, sitting there in their silence is brilliant because it means like you're not rushed. When you're ready, you take your time. And again, I understand with leaders and what have you, you don't necessarily, time may not necessarily be, 
something that you have a luxury when you're going for questions. But what it may be is, is rather than um, thinking, all right, let me just ask a question that's obvious to me. Let me probe to get an understanding of what the person I'm asking the question is, understands what I'm saying, right. and then what value can be added by the actual question that's mm-hmm. on. So for me, yeah, that listening is, yeah, it's absolutely crucial. Yeah. And it's interesting, you referenced Steve Jobs. Actually, one of the things that, that I, I learned when studying him, actually, was that he had kind of two phases of leadership. So there was the phase when he was the ruler of Apple, or the leader yeah. of Apple in the early stages, and he was a really visionary guy but a terrible leader because he really didn't listen to people very much he was very clear on what he wanted to do and eventually they kicked him out yes he kicked out of your own company then he went away he was founder of next and stuff and then when he came back he was actually a much better leader and a big part of that was that he had learned because he was working with netflix and with pixar with people who actually knew more than he did on the subject he learned that he had to listen and there was great value in it so I, yeah, I, I I get why that is a big, big skill on that. Well, Tommy, actually, before we just come off this, um, you, I think, met um, Sir Richard Branson, right? Yes. You're doing a, I thought you were doing a program called voc- um, is it Vocation, Vocation, Vocation? Uh, vocation, Vocation was the one I did on Channel 4. Oh, that, okay, okay, right, okay. Was so that we, did a, we did a program called Pioneers. And Pioneers, Pioneers yeah, yeah, students, yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs, including him. Right. And, and that led me to being the pitch coach for a program that they had called Voom. It was originally called Pitch ah. to Rich. And then it became Boom. So worked with it, worked in around with him and the team for about four to five years, which was fun. It was mm-hmm. good. And, and how did you find his communication approach? Because he, 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 I'm, I'm not sure about him because he comes across as very shy, you know, kind of self-facing. But then he always puts himself out there. So it's a bit yeah. of a conundrum as to whether yeah. he considers himself a communicator or not. What was yeah. your impression? Well, you know what? I think at the beginning of the podcast, we, you talked about me and, and speaking about being an extrovert. And it's really interesting because having worked with him for a little while, I'd actually changed that. And I think I'm an ambivert. And so I explain to you what that means. When I need to be present in a space and I need to talk to people and make people feel welcome and do my presentations, do my coaching, I will bring energy. I will really bring energy. I'll be that highly charged Duracell bunny. Right. But I also need those times where, like I am here at home today, and I'll be on my own. I'll be working. I'll be working in my room. I'll have my headphones on, doing a little bit of music and doing stuff. And that recharges me, but that's me being an introvert. Right. I don't want, we're having this podcast, which is absolutely fine, that I'm going to be present. But when I come from off here, I don't want to get on the phone to anybody. I don't yeah. want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I want my research. I want to do my stuff. And in a way, he's very similar. So he knows he's quite been quite open about the fact that he has dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows that he's not the best professional speaker because he mm. does a lot of filler words, ums and yeah, ums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, look. When you're a billionaire, I said to him, you know, when you're a billionaire, no one cares how many bloody people <laughs> you, you can communicate how you want. Communicate yeah. how you want. They're still going to pay you 250 grand to sit down in front yeah, of them yeah. for an hour. So they don't really care. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, as a communicator, what I've realized, he's, he's quite charismatic. So he's a visionary. And what it is, is with that vision, he's able to kind of like say to people, this is where we're going. Um, and this is our end goal. Um, I, I'm hiring you as leaders and experts in your field to make sure that we, we're we going to get there, but we're going there. We're going to go right. space. We're going to go on a train. We're going to go in a balloon. We're going to go on a plane. I don't care right. what it is. We're going there. Okay, and we're so he says, this, this is where, and you yeah. figure out how. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but infusing people enough to go on that vision with you, amazing. Yeah. The, guy is, the guy, yeah, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
Fantastic, fantastic. Listen, David, I've taken up so much of your time. We could go on for ages, but look, I want to want to respect your time. So listen, thank you so much for that, because there was a lot of really, really good gold in there. And I think, especially when listeners listen back to this, they can really take some of those key principles to use in their own communication journey, but especially their own leadership journey. So really appreciate that. I'm going to ask you kind of where we can find you as well. But before we go on to that, I have my 10 question, yes. quick fly around, go which is it. just... 10 random questions, uh, no right or wrong answer. It's just really what you think. Don't yeah. overthink anything. Yeah. Uh, just give your answers oh. instinctively. So here we go. You ready? Yes. Okay. So question number one. Mm-hmm. If you had the opportunity to shadow one person for a year to learn from them, who would that one person be? Elon Musk. Oh, okay. All right. Why? Because he's crazy. Box, crazy as a boxer. Yes. yes. He's, he's, he's batshit crazy. And I would love <laughs> to follow him and understand how a guy can run four or five companies at that pace. Outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely... never satisfied. Okay. Oh, I love that answer. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, question number two. On a scale of one to ten, how nervous do you get before a speech? Uh, five. Five. All right. Okay. Uh, question number three. Uh, one tip you would give to someone in their first leadership position? Uh, be, always be open for opportunity. Uh, don't feel that you've got all the answers and be learning. Always be learning. Always mm-hmm. be learning. No, obviously, you know what your area of expertise is, but always, always be curious and always be learning. All right. Fantastic. Love that. Love that. Okay. Question four. Love, wealth or happiness? If you could only have one, which would it be? Love. Yes. Come on. <laughs> Uh, okay, I know because your wife is going to listen to this, right? so you better give that answer. <laughs> She's saying, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great." Okay, question number five: If you had to relive one day for the rest of your life over and over again, like Groundhog Day, which day would that be? Day I got married. Ah, uh, come on, good man. <laughs> I think that's the top answer to that question, actually. Okay, question six: If you could only listen, speak, or see, which would you choose? Listen, speak, or see? see okay all right yeah uh question seven favorite album favorite book favorite movie off the wall michael jackson that is timeless that is such a wicked album the whole thing including the outtakes is absolutely dope my favorite album favorite album i had had a debate actually with a guy who was saying um bad was his i was like yeah because oh there were so many number ones i was like yeah but off the wall come on (laughs) revolutionary that is a game changer (laughs) Exactly. Okay, cool. So that's album. Um, movie and book. Uh, oh my God. Movie is quite difficult, but it would be somewhere between uh, The Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. and The Usual Suspects. Oh, okay. All right. Cool, cool. And book. And book. Could be fiction, non-fiction. Oh my God, that's so difficult. Uh, so difficult. All right, I'll tell you what, I'm going on. Keep, keep that in your mind. We'll go yeah. on to the others and you can give me that at the end. Uh, okay, uh, question eight. And this is probably even harder. Uh, seven word epitaph for your grave when you eventually pass this earth. Seven word? Yep. Um, he lived large. He lived well, magnificently. <laughs> I like the way you fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Love that. Okay. Uh, question nine. Uh, what was the favorite period of your life? Education, you know, school, uni, um, that kind of time, early work life, starting out or now? It would. Because I have my children, it'd be now. 
Okay. I loved education. I love right. that, but it'll be now because I, I, I absolutely love my daughters. Yeah, and 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 obviously my wife, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but now it'll be now. Excellent, love that. Okay, and final question ten: uh, Who would play you in the movie of your life? Idris Elba, man, come on! <laughs> yeah. Can't you see how we look together? Can't you see how we look alike already? <laughs> yeah, we'll see so, if he agrees with that. <laughs> Idris, Idris, if you play me up in here. <laughs> My favorite yeah. book now, favorite book. Yeah, um, no, yeah, we've got to come back to that. Oh, do you know what the book I really, I, it's The Measure of a Man. Okay, yep. That's mind-blowing. Um, but I also like that um, Paolo Coelho book. Um, the Alchemist or? The Alchemist. Alchemist, okay. Who was Measure of a Man? Who was that by? I think that's Viktor Frankl. Okay. All right. Uh, the Holocaust survivor. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to love to look that up. Okay. All right. Okay. Two two excellent options. All right. Cool. Uh, excellent. Hey, listen. Thank you for thank you for taking part in that. Good instinctive answers. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of different dimension gets us to know you a little bit better in a different way, which is pretty cool. Listen, um, because we've had you for a good amount of time, which I really appreciate. Kind of final thoughts. Where first of all, where can we find you? Where should if we want to kind of do some work with you or hire you or just learn more from you where should we go to find you so this sounds really bougie if you type in david mcqueen <laughs> <laughs> at least the first before you get to the criminal one at least the first four or five right. so david mcqueen.co.uk is where my main site is uh but you i'm also find you'll find me quite a lot writing and posting on linkedin as well to people who are on linkedin davidmcqueen.co.uk would be the place to go to. And LinkedIn is the best uh, social media place, is it? We should find you. Okay, cool. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, no, I, I see, as you say, I, I see your provocative yes. posts on LinkedIn sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I contribute, sometimes I yeah, do. I always love to see them. No, it's good because so often you get very trite comments on social media journey, but especially LinkedIn. You know, it'll be a quote that we've all heard some time ago or an article with the five points of this that don't really provide any value. And I really love the fact that you post often questions out there or comments yeah. that force people to have an opinion. So you yeah. can't be one way or the other about, you know, you really have to take one side or the other. It's not, well, I don't care. So yeah. I, I do like, I do like that as an approach. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. So we can go there and find you, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, for anybody who really is looking either for a speaker or somebody in communications coaching, or just you're taking your first journey in trying to improve yourself as a communicator and you want to learn from someone who really has kind of time tested skills, I really urge you go and find David because you will get lots and lots of value in the same way that we have throughout this podcast. So thank you, David McQueen, for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. As you know, I say goodbye in a different language each time. Uh, when I have a guest, I give that uh, privilege to the guest. So uh, will you do the honors, please? Tell us uh, which language and then take us away. It's going to be French, my friend. Au revoir. A bientôt. See you soon. Au revoir. A bientôt. Thank you very much, David. Au revoir, my great communicators. See you on the next episode. Cheers. Bye.